Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. I grew up in this area in Loudoun County, and I started to go to church when I was in middle school. And a few summers into me going to church, my cousin actually convinced me to spend a week at church camp. Don't judge me. Yes, I went to church camp. Yes, it was as weird as you think it is. No, I don't want to talk about it. So I went to church camp for six years. Shut up. I'm still cool. And while I was there, one of the first guys I ever met was a man named Ryan Arnold. And Ryan was from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And so the only time we'd ever see each other and hang out was at church camp. Ryan was a few years older than me, so he actually graduated high school and and went his separate way. And so after that, I didn't see him anymore. This was pre-Facebook, pre-free texting. Some of you don't know what that is. You had to pay for text messages back in the day. And because of that, we fell out of touch. And fast forward a few years, I'm moving into my college dorm when I get a knock on the door, and it was Ryan. He was my RA. He helped me move in a few boxes. We caught up uh, on the past few years. And then he told me to get a pair of tennis shoes on and meet him in the freshman parking lot in 15 minutes. And so I grabbed my shoes and my roommates, and we jumped in Ryan's minivan. Now, some of the more cautious people here at Collective are like, what is he doing? And I get that. For the next 30 minutes, we drove further away from civilization and deeper into the hills of Tennessee. Eventually, Ryan turned off one backcountry road and onto a gravel road that led up into the mountains. At this point, I was definitely starting to get a little bit nervous, and I started to wonder, how well do I know Ryan? How did we both end up at the same college? How did he end up as my RA? Did he set this up? Did I do something in high school to upset him to where he would hold a grudge for two years just to one day bump into me and kill me? But it was too late. We were already in the van. We are already driving. And so we continued down the gravel road, and I cautiously waited for the car to stop. As we drove further up the gravel road into the hills, there were no homes There was no cell phone service. We were in the middle of nowhere. And eventually he stopped, not in a parking lot, just on the side of this gravel road. And he turned around in his van and he said, you can get out now. And at this point I was looking at my two other roommates trying to figure out which one I could outrun to figure out how I could survive whatever was going to happen. We got out of the car. Ryan started walking toward the side of the gravel road and then took a few steps into a clearing of trees and disappeared. We all cautiously approached the trees and saw steps that were leading deep down into the woods, and so we followed him. We, were, we started walking down, which would have eventually been five to six flights of steps, and as we walked further down these steps, we started to hear the sound of roaring water. When we finally reached the bottom, the trees cleared, and we realized we were at the bottom of a waterfall. It was absolutely stunning. And he told us it was called the Blue Hole. Actually, I have a picture. You can check it out. This is in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. We didn't get to admire it long before Ryan started walking again. He crossed over this natural walkway that surrounded the small pool at the bottom of the falls, and we kept following him. When we made it to the other side, we started to climb a steep embankment that led us to the top of the waterfall. Eventually, we reached the top, and there was a very small clearing that overlooked everything. And Ryan explained it's called the Blue Hole because when looking down, there's a very small, dark blue spot in the middle of this body of water. And then he actually said, this is where you have to, and then he jumped. Dude didn't finish his sentence. He just jumped off a cliff into a waterfall like it was James Bond or some crap. And I was freaking out. And I turned to look at my friend Curtis who was with us and asked him, are you going to jump? Like, this is insane. We could die. And then he started laughing and jumped. Now, I'm not one to give into peer pressure, but I figured it was my turn next. And as I stood and looked down on the edge, I was terrified. 
I would take a step up and stand on the edge, then hesitate, take a step back. But after a few minutes of pacing back and forth, I jumped. And it was terrible and exhilarating at the same time. And then there was just one guy left, my roommate Josh. He was standing all alone at the top of the blue hole. And you could definitely tell that he was conflicted. He would walk up to the edge, he'd look over, turn around, throw his hands up in the air. You could tell he was kind of talking to himself, but we couldn't hear him, we were so far away. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes go by, still no jumping. And you could tell that he wanted to jump, but he just couldn't bring himself to do it. And even though he'd seen us jump, and he knew that we were safe, he still had his doubts. At one point, Curtis actually yelled up, you can do it, just jump, you'll be fine. And Josh yelled back down, I know I'll be fine, I just don't know if I want to jump. Now Josh had doubts. He started to wonder, will I make it? Should I do this? What if I don't jump far enough? What if I jump too far? How deep is it? And whether it's jumping off a cliff into a small blue hole, or meeting a girl on a blind date that your friend set up, or quitting your job to pursue the career of your dreams, or your wife saying that she hears Laurel when it's clearly Yanny, We always have a moment where we stand on the edge of jumping and we pause. We second guess what we're about to get into. We rethink the decisions that we made to get us to that point because we have doubts. Andy Stanley, a preacher in Georgia, puts it this way. He says, we begin to doubt when we begin to ask one of two questions. We ask, is it worth it? Or we ask, is it true? And Stanley says sometimes that we actually ask them both at the same time. We wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? And there's so many things in our life that give us doubts. And maybe you're in a relationship right now and you're beginning to think about marriage and you have doubts and you wonder, is it worth it? You've been promised a new promotion at work if you'll just help the company get through the heavy season and you begin to have doubts and you wonder, is it true? Maybe you and your wife are talking about starting a family and you wonder, is it worth it? And we wrestle with these things and we wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? And maybe you felt that way about collective. You walk into a middle school and you meet people who are genuinely excited to see you and meet you. I stand up here and I'll talk about how Jesus promised a full life that is better than anything that we can create on our own. We'll talk about grace and how Jesus offers endless second chances. We talk about loving your neighbor as yourself and being invested in this community and you feel challenged and encouraged, but you wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? You know, we all have doubts and these doubts can come from skepticism They can come from just not knowing. Sometimes our doubts come from past experiences, both good and bad, but ultimately doubts exist. And I honestly don't think that that's a bad thing if you approach your doubts the right way. Now, before we read the story today, I do want you to know that Collective is a place where you can belong before you believe. You can belong to this church. You can be a part of this community. You can join one of our collectives, which are our small groups. You can serve in the community. You can serve here on Sunday morning, even if you still aren't sure about Jesus even if you have doubts. You wouldn't be the first person to be a part of Collective who had doubts and you won't be the last. And so my goal today isn't to convince you not to have doubts. My goal isn't to try and get you to think that I have no doubts anymore, I'm good. My goal is to challenge you to find a new way to approach your doubts. And so today as we continue our Unqualified series, we're gonna talk about one of my favorite people in the Bible. And just like the last three weeks in the series, we're going to see how God used a broken person to do big things, not just in their own lives, but also in the kingdom of God. We're going to be talking about one of Jesus' disciples named Thomas. Thomas was one of the original 12 who, when Jesus said, come follow me, he gave up everything and started to follow him. But Thomas was also a doubter. So here's the context for the story that we're reading today in John 20. 
In fact, you can actually jump back. We did a series in March called Hope Rising, and everything we did in that series actually leads up to this moment right now. But I'm going to sum it up as well. So Jesus was arrested, beaten, tortured, and crucified on a cross. And even though he promised that he would return three days later, his followers still didn't believe him. They still weren't sure. So instead of anxiously awaiting his return, they're terrified because they think they're next. They think they're the ones who are going to be crucified next and persecuted next. And so because of this, they're actually hiding out because of the fear of persecution. And then this happens, John 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now let's pause there for a second. They're sitting in a locked room. They're terrified. They think they're going to die. And Jesus appears. He doesn't knock. He doesn't have a key. Dude just shows up. And the first thing that he says to them is, peace be with you. And there's no way the disciples were like, oh, okay, sure. We thought you were dead and we were afraid of the people that are going to bust in and try to kill us at any moment. And you essentially walk through a door. That's fine. We'll have peace. There's no way the disciples would have experienced that and immediately thought that. There's no way they would have seen Jesus thought, oh, yeah, this is easy. This is comfortable. I'm totally cool with what just happened. And even though Jesus promised that he would die, and even though Jesus promised he would resurrect, and even though the people in the room knew this, they had heard this, they had seen his death, this would still freak them out. I know for me personally, if I was in that room, I'd be like, nope, and I'd like walk right out the door. And I think that that's the way we would respond as well if we experienced that. But the story continues. After he had said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Notice the first thing that he does after he calms this group down, after he says, peace be with you, is that he offers them proof. He doesn't just tell them that they should trust him. He shows them his hands where the nails were driven through. He shows them his side where the Roman guard pierced with a spear. And even though these wounds were reminders of a brutal crucifixion that he experienced, they were also proof that Jesus was there in the flesh. It was also proof that his promises came true, his promises that he would die and three days later resurrect. And for everyone there, that was enough for them to believe. And it was enough for them to take their fear and turn that into joy. But here's my favorite part of the story. We're going to skip ahead a few verses. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve. So Didymus means twin. Different scholars believe that he might have actually had a twin. Some people believe that he looked like Jesus, so it was kind of a nickname. But now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Thomas wasn't there he missed it. This is like the biggest moment of his life. He gave up everything he could to follow Jesus, and he's not there. This is the most important moment in his life, and in my opinion, in human history, seeing the risen Jesus, making sure his promises are true, knowing that he is the Savior, that he did get sent to pay the debt for our sins, and Thomas isn't there. He misses it. When I was in elementary school, my dad would often let me and my brother play hooky, and we'd go and meet up with my grandfather at Camden Yards. One afternoon while we were at a game, I was struggling to focus because I had to pee. But I also knew that my dad hated getting up during games, so I tried to hold it as long as I could. Some, I didn't pee my pants. I'm just going to let you know now. Some of you guys think he peed his pants. That's not where this goes. But eventually, my eight-year-old bladder couldn't handle it anymore, so I asked my dad to take me to the bathroom. And of course, he wasn't pumped, but he also didn't want me to pee my pants. And so we waited for the visiting team to come to bat before we left. As we were waiting in line, there was a loud cheer from the seats, and we immediately knew that we missed something big. 
but still not wanting to pee my pants, and my dad not wanting me to pee my pants, we waited in line. When we finally got through the line, we were making our way back to the seats. There was an even louder cheer. At this point, my dad started to speed walk. He's 6'5", so I'm like sprinting as fast as I can to keep up with him. When we got to our seats, my brother and my grandfather both asked, did you see what happened? And of course we didn't. You know, and they said, I can't believe you missed it. Somehow, ten, in the 10 minutes that we were gone, not only did one of the Orioles players rob a home run, but he was the first one up the next inning and he hit inside the park home run, and we missed both of them. So Thomas is that guy. It's the biggest moment of, life, of his life, and he's gone. He's going to the bathroom, or he's buying groceries, he's having dinner with his in-laws. Whatever it is, he missed it. But this is what happens when Thomas comes back into the room where the disciples have just seen Jesus. So Jesus is gone, and this is what happens. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And Thomas is skeptical. He has doubts. He says, unless I see and touch the nail marks. He says, unless I see and touch his side, I won't believe. And I love Thomas. I love him because of this, and I love this story. But I always feel like Thomas gets a bad rap because people actually call him, he has another nickname, they call him Doubting Thomas because of this story. But I think if we're all being honest, we get it. That makes sense. Why would he believe the other disciples? He walks into a room, they're like, guys, Thomas, guess what? We saw Jesus, he isn't here anymore, but you should take our word for it, you should believe. Why would he believe I think all of us could say we completely understand the doubts that he has. And this wasn't the only time when Thomas had doubts. Check out this story that happened a little bit earlier. During Jesus' ministry, one of his best friends named Lazarus got sick. When Jesus heard this, he told the other disciples that they needed to go back to Judea, but they were hesitant. And they were hesitant for a good reason, because the Jews in Judea had recently tried to kill Jesus. And so the disciples knew that if they went back, that not only would they try to kill Jesus, but most likely the disciples as well. And so while they're waiting for Jesus to make his, his decision, do we go back or do we stay, Lazarus actually dies. And this is what happens in John 11. And Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus is saying, Lazarus is dead, now it's time to go to Judea. And the first person to talk is Thomas, and this is what he says. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And Thomas says this, he, he's hopeless. He's resigned to the fact that if they go to Judea, he's going to die. And he's a real person with real doubts. He knew that there was danger. But even though he doubts, and even though he makes that statement like, okay, I guess we're going to go and die as well, he still follows Jesus. In another story in John 14, there's a moment when the disciples are distraught, and Jesus is actually comforting them. He's letting them know that everything will be okay, because they will spend eternity in heaven with him. And so Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And again, the first person to speak up is Thomas. And Thomas says, Lord, 
We don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? And this is who Thomas was. And most people read these stories and say that he doubted. Some people actually read these stories and think that he's a pessimist. But to be honest, I think Thomas would say that he's a realist. He has doubts. He has doubts that they'll make it to Judea alive to see Lazarus. He has doubts when it comes to Jesus and what he's teaching about eternity in heaven. He has doubts when his friends say they saw the resurrected Jesus. And this is real. And so many of you would say that you resonate with Thomas especially those who are here today that just aren't sure about any of this, the church, Jesus, God, any of it. And you would say that you're not a follower of Jesus because you still don't know if it's worth it or if it's true. And maybe you have doubts about the virgin birth or the resurrection. Maybe you have doubts about Jesus' teaching. Maybe you have doubts about whether or not a church can be a safe and life-giving place. And to be honest, it's okay. If you're a follower of Jesus, one thing that Thomas teaches us is that doubt isn't just for people who don't believe. Thomas was a disciple who struggled with doubt. And so there are going to be times in your life when you're following Jesus and you just aren't sure. You're not going to be completely confident in the direction that you feel like he's leading you in or pushing you in. And some of you feel Jesus pulling you toward community, but you're wondering if you can trust the people that are around you. And some of you feel Jesus pulling you toward baptism, but you're wondering if you're ready Some of you feel Jesus pulling you toward trusting him with your finances, but you aren't sure if you know how. Doubts are real. And the thing is, we think we're unqualified because we have doubts. We think that we can't be here in church because we have doubts. And we think we can't have a relationship with Jesus because we have doubts. And we think that God can't use us because we have doubts. But you can't let your doubts stop God from doing big things in your life. God wants to move in your marriage God wants to move in your anxiety. God wants to move in your loneliness. God wants to move in your pain and your brokenness. And you can't let your doubts get in the way. But in order to do that, you have to be willing to engage your doubt. You have to be willing to stand before it face to face. And this is what Thomas does. The story continues in John 20. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And there are two major things that happen in this interaction. The first is that Jesus enters the room the exact same way as last time. The doors are locked, he walks in, and he says, Peace be with you. But then he immediately looks at Thomas and tells him to engage his doubts. He tells Thomas, don't just doubt, look at my hands. Don't just doubt, look at my side. And it's really important to know that Jesus didn't shun Thomas because he had doubts. Jesus didn't kick him out. Jesus didn't walk into the room and go, okay, you're the doubter, therefore you can't be here anymore. Jesus saw Thomas and told him to stop doubting. The second important thing in this is Thomas responds by saying, my Lord and my God. And this matters because Thomas is Jewish, and if a religious leader heard him call Jesus his Lord and his God, he would immediately be executed. But it didn't matter to Thomas because Jesus was actually standing right before him. All of his doubts were going away. And this doesn't mean that at some point in Thomas's life he didn't have doubts later. I'm sure that he did. It just meant that even in the doubt, he knew that Jesus could be his Lord and his God. After Thomas saw Jesus and believed, he actually joined the rest of the disciples in changing the world. 
Just a few weeks after they saw Jesus, they went out to preach the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus came and died in our place so that our sin doesn't separate us from God. And they went out to preach the gospel to a crowd of people, and thousands of people that day got to hear of a Savior who loved them and died for them. And on that day, over 3,000 people decided to make Jesus the leader of their life, and they were baptized. And Thomas got to be a part of that. After that moment, we actually don't hear about Thomas again. And this isn't because he stopped following Jesus. In fact, outside of the Bible, there are multiple historical writings that let us know that Thomas went east to India and was the founder of Christianity in that region. And so for over 40 years, Thomas shared with people that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died, that he resurrected from the dead, and that he got to see it. And eventually, Thomas gave up his life telling other people about who Jesus was. Thomas was martyred when four soldiers pierced him with spears. And the reason why they did that is because he refused to deny seeing a risen Jesus. You know, it's one thing to doubt, but it's a completely other thing to doubt and never engage the doubts that you have. To refuse to pursue answers, to refuse to pursue truth, to refuse to come face to face with your doubts in order to figure it out, in order to figure out, is it worth it? Is it true? And trust me, I know that it's hard to fully relate to Thomas because he actually got to see a risen Jesus. Like, we get that. He got to touch the wounds. But what's really cool about this story and reading about Thomas is that Jesus gets it as well. Right after Thomas said that he believed, this is what Jesus said in John 20, 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus recognizes that it's easy for Thomas to see him and believe. Jesus gets that, and he actually calls out and says, listen, this is easy for you to get it. I'm right here. You saw this. That's great. But blessed are those who have not, yet, or have not seen it and yet have believed. And this is because Jesus recognizes that at some point he's going to send into heaven, and none of us get the opportunity to stand in front of a risen God. None of us get the opportunity to touch those wounds. None of us get the opportunity to see the piercings that he had. And so Jesus says that blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And this simply means that there's more joy and more hope and more peace for those who believe, even though they haven't seen him the way that Thomas did. So Jesus recognizes it's hard to believe, but he tells him that it's worth it. And so you don't have to stop doubting. Doubt can actually be a good thing if you approach it the right way, if you actually choose to engage your doubts. Thomas doubted, and that's fine. But Thomas also put himself in a place to see God move. He surrounded himself with people who believed. He was open to believing and seeing for himself. And so the question is, if you have doubts, are you? You have to engage your doubt. If you doubt that Jesus is real, engage your doubt. Read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. If you have doubt when it comes to what Jesus taught, engage your doubt. Read the book, The Problem of God by Mark Clark. If you have doubt when it comes to in church, engage it. Come back. Be a part of this community and see what happens here. If you, have, if you doubt whether or not God is moving in your own life, engage your doubt. Spend a few moments in silence and in prayer trying to interact with God. Engage your doubt. Join a small group. Surround yourself with other people who have doubts as well. Read your Bible. Start with the book of John. At this point, we've done a series on John. We've talked about multiple sermons on John. It's a great place to start. Engage your doubt. Because if you just stop at doubt, you'll never know what God can do in your marriage. 
You'll never know what God can do in your friendships. You'll never know what God can do in your insecurities or with your kids or in your school. You'll never know what God can do in your finances or in your fears or in your brokenness. You have to engage your doubt. After Josh stood up at the top of the waterfall for over 30 minutes, he walked up to the edge, he plugged his nose, and he jumped. And it wasn't pretty. His arms and legs were flailing the whole way down, but he ran, landed right in the perfect spot. When he got out of the water, he swam over to us, and we were cheering him on, but he did not look thrilled. He coughed a few times, he opened up his eyes, and he said, I did it. And I asked him, what do you think? Wasn't it awesome? He goes, not really. And then Curtis asked him, do you want to do it again? And Josh said, sure, why not? Don't just stand on the edge of doubt, being too afraid to jump. God wants to move in your life through your doubts. God wants you to, to move in your life, even though you have doubts about who he is or what he did or what this even means, even though you have doubts about the church or the people that are here in general, God still wants to move in your life. But in order to do that, you have to engage your doubts. You have to get up to the edge and actually jump. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, um, that God, that we learn about who Thomas is and, and we learn about his doubts, and, and to be honest, God, that, that we get it. God, that every story in the Bible isn't about people who immediately see you or hear what, what you've said or, or even read scripture and immediately say, okay, I get it, I'm all in, I have no doubts. And so God, we're just so thankful that we can look at people who have doubts and see how they still followed you and still were able to do big things. And so God, I pray for all of us who have doubts or, or are struggling with something or there's skepticism in some place, God, that, that we don't just stand there and sit on the edge and say, well, I have doubts, therefore I can't go. God, at some point this week that we choose to engage those doubts. We choose to learn more about you. We choose to take a step uh, and invest in a community. And God, ultimately, we're just so thankful that even though you knew Thomas doubted, that he was still part of the 12. God, that you didn't kick him out, that you didn't shun him, but instead you showed up in his life and showed him how he could trust you and follow you. God, I pray that we get that this week as well. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.